Welcome to the Donor Project Podcast, where infertility doesn't mean childless. I'm Dr. Miranda Miles, the contemporary conceptionist, and I help women and men using donor eggs bring their baby home sooner. This is what happens when a women's health expert chooses to use donor eggs to create her unique family. Think about the Donor Project podcast as your go-to place for everything you need to know about using donor eggs to bridge the gap between you and your baby. Because every woman deserves the opportunity to be a mum and every man a dad. Welcome to episode six of the Donor Project podcast. I am absolutely so excited. Joining me today is the amazing Dr. Mark Sklar, aka The Fertility Expert. Hello, Mark. Hi, Miranda. How are you? <laughs> um, for, now, for more than 18 years, Dr. Mark has been helping couples struggling to conceive and women and men regulating their hormones and reproductive health with his virtual fertility consultations, coaching and fertility programs. In addition to his Doctor of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, Dr. Mark trained at the Harvard Medical School Mind Body Medical Institute. He's also the creator of Fertility TV, MarkScar.com, and ReproductiveWellness.com, and the co-author of Secret to Conception. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. You have a list of credentials that is so long. I don't know where you get time to do all of this. Those were long before. <laughs> it's, it's even longer now, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So as we can see, you're an absolute expert in this area. Um, and the first time I actually met you was when we did our Instagram live a couple of, yeah. hmm, a couple of weeks ago now um, on men's health and fertility. And we found we just really were singing from the same songbook. Uh, and that's why I wanted to bring you on today to talk to you, particularly about what intending parents need to do to prepare for their own donor egg IVF process. Yeah, you know, it's, this is such a, a such an important topic. Um, there's so many um, details, you know, that um, are important that we shouldn't ignore and that really need to be discussed because, you know, if you and I have kind of gone back and forth a little bit about um, prior to today, you know, once a couple makes the decision to move forward with uh, a donor cycle, whether you know whoever's getting the donor right whatever mm. side of the equation is getting the donor mm. they often feel like their hands get you know cleaned right like they could just now i can just do whatever i want it's no big deal because we have somebody else's sperm or egg or whatever it might be and so i i i really have no important part in this process God, so i don't have to do anything anymore doesn't matter let's go have a beer <laughs> <laughs> it's out of my hands i've got a beautiful you know 23 year old egg or some gorgeous sperm i don't need to do anything right yeah and that's i think that 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 um thought process is really a big misconception um and I think can also get us into a little bit of trouble as we start mm -hmm. to go down that road as well. So this is really an important topic. And, and um, I was so excited to see that the donor project is, you know, your little baby, so to speak, because mm. it's something that just doesn't get enough attention, doesn't mm. get discussed enough, and it really deserves the attention and detail, um, you know, so that we can really help couples go through that process a little bit easier and smoother. Um, mm. So I, mm. I was excited to see you doing this. Yeah. I'm so glad. It's, it's a lot of fun and it's, it's uh, certainly getting some very good 
um, feedback uh, and a lot of people are saying the same thing. So it's, right. yeah, it's good fun to do. Um, but it is just so important because I see, you know, we've got in, in just in Victoria and obviously you're in, in, in America, but in Victoria alone, there's over 11,000 births or, or children that have been conceived using either eggs or sperm. And that's just the ones that are on our donor register. So it, sure. it is becoming, you know, it's where IVF was, I guess, you know, about 40 years ago, you know, yeah. and now there's so many people who have done IVF. And I really do think that using either donor eggs or donor sperm is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger, particularly as we know, Mark, the fertility rates are just dropping, particularly in males now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, the, the, the shift in this one, it's becoming more acceptable. Um, yes. To, to go down, right. Especially in certain countries, there's many countries in the world actually where they still don't allow it. Mm. Um, and those are the uh, couples that end up traveling out of the, out of their country to still continue to do it because they can't do it in their country. So they're going to go someplace off into the U S mm. um, to have those procedures done. And then they go back mm. and they're pregnant and you know, no one's the wiser. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, but it is becoming more acceptable. And I would agree, like, this is something that where, where IVF was before, right? Mm. Um, mm. And the real reason this is becoming such a big need, and we're seeing the prevalence of donor be increased considerably, is because of the world we live in today. You know, it's because of, one, we're trying to have um, families and children at a much later, later stage of our life. Mm. So that comes with its own burdens. Mm. Um, and then just the exposure to chemicals, to stress, to the environment, to the f crappy food that we're eating, yeah. all sorts of variables are playing a role and that's fueling the need for donors. Mm. Um, and so if we could, even though those donors might be still exposed to those same uh, chemicals and foods and so forth, Th those those variables they because they're so much younger typically mm. their um eggs or sperm are either spared or we can find the good ones that we need to mm. get us the results that we're looking for where it's much harder as we age and so that is fueling that need for for donors for sure yeah that's right my um and my two children are both uh, conceived using donor eggs different donors um, and my first donor, she was 23. <laughs> yeah, different donors. We actually used three different donors. Our, our second donor, we didn't have a lot of success with, but the first and the, the third one were our, our gold mines. Um, and that was, so Charlie's about to turn seven and I traveled to, Malay, uh, to Thailand um, to, have, to have Charlie. We used wow. a, a South African donor she came to Thailand, we were coming from Melbourne and we all met in Thailand and did it there. And it was an anonymous process. And, um, and that, that was seven. Couldn't do it in Australia at the time? We couldn't do it in Australia at the time. It was very difficult to do it in Australia. Um, it. The, the complications were that um, it was very hard to find a donor. So we tried that first. We went, we spent six months um, searching, um, you know, through websites and, yeah. And that was, that was how you did it, or you needed to know someone. 
And so both my sisters are much older than me. And it was like, well, I'm already 40. It's, there's no point getting an older egg. <laughs> it's right. still not going to work. <laughs> and that's that whole exposure thing. You know, even though it's a donor egg, the age still matters. That's the whole sure. point. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, but now, and then Matilda, so she's about to turn three, different donor. We went to Malaysia for Matilda, um, same sort of process. And so they're both anonymous um, donors. We, we, wonderful. Yeah, which is just brilliant. Um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a really interesting mix. And then my, so the third donor, she, I then had a, a patient contact me and say, you know, I'm an Australian in Spain. Um, I want to do donor egg like you did. Do you have, you know, where did you go? And I explained it all and her, she needed an embryo. So she needed not only egg, but sperm. And her embryo is um, the, the egg part was my third donor. And oh. she now has a gorgeous little girl from that process. So I now know one of Matilda's half siblings from an Australian in Spain. <laughs> wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. you know, it's, yeah, it is. It is beautiful. And we just send each other an email once a year to say, you know, just touching base, how are you going? We'd love to meet one day and, you know, get our daughters to actually meet so that they do know part of their, their extended family. Sure, sure. Mm. Yeah. You know, with this with this topic of donor, um, there are, and I've had this thought over the years with others, um, with with women that I've worked with and so forth. When they have used donors, it's like mm. we don't we don't know what other half siblings do we have out there. Um, mm. And now, with the prevalence and rise of um, donor embryos. Mm. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna see this prevalence of, you know, full siblings, but just with different parents, mm. you know, different parts of the country or the world um, out there, and and that's gonna start to rise more and more as well as as that mm. whole piece starts to develop um, more so and and grow and and become more acceptable. Mm. So it's really interesting. I have a, a woman who used the same donor sperm. For their well, they use the donor sperm for their first, and they've been trying to use the same donor sperm for their second. It hasn't been working out successfully, mm. and so one of the conversations I had with her was, "Well, let's maybe we need to try a different donor sperm mm. Um, mm. for that." Um, and in part of that conversation, you know, we learned by reaching out to the agency that she, um, that donor has created healthy babies or helped to create healthy babies many throughout the country so mm. who knows how many um half siblings mm. this one this one child has right mm. so, it's yeah. it's amazing yeah and because we obviously did it anonymously it's not quite as easy to find out that information if we wanted to yeah. um, although there is you know there's dna you know genetic testing now so i, I don't think it's an impossibility sure. um in Australia now, it's you can. It's much more easy in Australia now. You know, seven years later, it's changed enormously the rules and the regulations, yeah. and and it is an, a slightly easier process in Australia. But you have to be, it has to be a known process in Australia. You cannot do it um, no. anonymously. Mm. Mm. Um, and the reason that they sort of say that is so that the donor can 
find their their you know their offspring not that they right. were ever intending on being the parents but they yeah. can find the children that have been born to their eggs or sperm um, but also so that the donor conceived child can find their donor right. if they want to so there's reasons for it it's just yeah it's just what wasn't so available when um when i was doing it so it's quite an interesting process yeah it's it's very unique and and one of the things i always say to my patients is no one who has ever used donor eggs has ever regretted that decision. It's, it's just, you know, cause I know that there can be a lot of. Yeah, there is a lot that, that, that question, that thought or thoughts um, around that process is definitely um, one that arises. And I, I think on, on both the male and the female, right? Um, mm. you know, donor sperm or egg, I do find it maybe can be a little bit more, I find those questions come up a little bit more when we're dealing with donor egg than with sperm, mm -hmm. but regardless, they come up nonetheless. Yeah. And, you know, I say the same thing to them. There, I have not had one couple that has ever said they don't feel connected to the child, that, no. um, that they don't feel like they're their parents. No. And this is something that I think everybody listening really needs to take to heart, that if you are considering a donor, there's a real reason why you're considering it, right? Mm. And, and mm. probably a real need for that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and you will love that child, parent that child, no different than you would have if they were biologically yours. Exactly. And, and I, I think that's an important piece that we all have to take out of this process, you know, when we're going through it. And certainly one of the questions that often comes up when we're talking about uh, donor egg is, you know, does any of my genetic makeup, my, my DNA get passed on to the child mm. when I'm carrying the child for those nine to 10 months, um, they don't often ask it in that, you know, as clear of a question. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, I want everyone listening to know that th the answer is, is yes, right? Like we, I, I, I can't sit here and tell you it's 80% or 50% or 20%, but what I can tell you for certain is that in those months that you are carrying that child, that embryo to development, you are passing on your DNA and that is a known fact. And so you're going, that child mm. will have your DNA, your genetic mm. makeup and will be part of you. Mm. Um, and that is an important piece. So don't think that just because you're getting a donor egg that the genetic makeup of the child has nothing to do with you. It absolutely does, which goes to the point of how important it is to continue to stay on course with how you know you take care of yourself, what you're doing, food and lifestyle and supplements, all those things, because all of those things still get passed on and have an impact not only for that child but again for generations to come. That's right. And I read, I read somewhere, and I I wish I could find it. I can't find the reference where I read this, but I read somewhere that they thought it was about four percent, right, of the DNA that that passes through the umbilical cord. But I've always been reluctant to repeat that because I can't find where I read it. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had a but, hard time finding that information as well. I yeah. Like that. 
Yeah. And I don't know the exact percentage, but we no. do know that there is a percentage that does get passed on. That's right. And also the, the, the little micro RNA as well, you know, there's little chemical messengers that are in the uterine fluid yeah. that are switching on or switching off particular genes anyway. So as the gestational mother, you are switching on and switching off particular genes in that baby anyway, but it's also your blood. It's, like yeah. my kids, they're my blood, they're my, my energy, they're my vitality, they're my chi, they're all of those things. Absolutely, mm. and there's the, the nature versus nurture, nurture. conversation, right? Mm. And so we know that you're going to influence that child in just the nurturing of raising that child. You know, mm. how much screen time you give them and what food you feed them and yeah. you know, how, how much, much you yell at them. them. <laughs> Yelling and laughing and all those things. So all of that absolutely plays a role. Yeah. 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 It's um yeah, it's undeniable. And and there is not a single part of me that looks at my children and thinks, Oh, they they're not mine. Like, like it just does it doesn't it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come register. into my no, it doesn't register. Um, and I remember when I had Charlie, I couldn't, ima I, I couldn't imagine having a second child because I didn't know how I could fit another child in my heart because my heart was already so full. <laughs> um, and it just, it just keeps growing. Your heart just gets bigger and just loves harder and loves more. It just finds more space for more children. Um, and it doesn't matter. And then the, watching the two of them because they are, I mean, they're half siblings, right? Because they're different, yeah. different donors, same dad, um, same, same blood. Um, yeah. They are so much the same. It's incredible how much they look like each other and how much they behave like each other because that's the, 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 the nature nurture argument again, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the same. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love hearing that. And I think it's so important for everyone watching and listening to also register that information right like mm. it's this is real life experience this is what mm. happens. happens and and even though you're just one story of it it's there, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of stories similar you know you just haven't heard them because it's mm. not like everyone goes around talking about exactly you know Oh yes, I use the donor for this or that. It's just not a common conversation, and 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 often it's not something that they want to openly discuss. Mm. Um, Which always implies shame, doesn't it? Secrecy implies shame, and yeah. I, I just don't want it to be a shameful topic anymore. It doesn't have to be. You know, there's for me there were reasons why I couldn't conceive using my own eggs, and I did try, and you know, I did everything under the sun, but I was old. You know, I was 41. That doesn't mean 41, you can't get pregnant. I'm just going to make right. that point. I want yeah. to be very, very clear. At 41, many women can still conceive. Still, yes. um, so I, that's, yeah, that's, it wasn't just my age. There was a whole lot of other stuff that was happening for me. And it just got to a point where I went, you know what? I just want to be a mum. I don't care anymore. I don't care how it happens. Um, and the moment I made that decision to use donor eggs, it was just absolute relief of, okay, this is going to work. I will be a mum. Because the fear and the anxiety around it otherwise was just overwhelming. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's this relief. Well, there's so much stress around it, around the mm. process. Um, but also I, I often feel like when we make the right decision, 
there is this sense of relief, right? That burden's been lifted. Yes. And so um, we know, I think inherently we know when we make those right decisions because we feel that way. Mm. Um, so I love to hear that because I think it's mm. such an impactful piece of, of the process. Mm. So, of course, one of the things that I did was, was I continued on with all my, you know, caring for myself and doing all of the, the things um, that we do when we're preparing for IVF or fertility. Um, mm. Of course, I no longer had to worry about my egg quality. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, you know, issues with my endometrial lining. It was breaking down too soon. Um, so I really had to focus on that. So, Mark, what, what, in your approach, what would you be saying to women, firstly, what do they need to do to continue that process of looking after yourself and preparing for donor egg IVF as opposed to their own egg IVF? Yeah, you know, I think this is such an important piece that um, really can't and shouldn't be ignored, right? Mm. Um, mm. The, we can't take ourselves out of the equation when we make the decision to move forward with, with a donor egg. We're still a very big part of that process for all the reasons we, you know, have just mm. been talking about, right? And so just because we don't have to worry about egg quality, and ovarian reserve now doesn't mean that we have to ignore our health, that mm. we can now eat McDonald's every day and you know have our liter of soda or whatever it is. And, and so forth. <laughs> you know, th those are still impactful things for many, mm. many. So the first is we wanna create a healthy uterine environment, healthy, nice and thick um, endometrium for implantation. And then, we want to be able to hold a pregnancy, right? It's not just about getting pregnant. It's about being able to stay pregnant for the length of the pregnancy. Exactly. So we have healthy for that as well. And then we want to pass on. We've been talking about passing on our genetic makeup and, and making sure that we can support uh, the child and their health. So mm -hmm. then it's a matter of passing on the right genetic makeup, the right genes, the DNA that allows that child to have a healthy baby, uh, sorry, to, to live a healthy life. Mm. And then again, if we take it one step further, you want to make it easy for that child to have, to, to reproduce and have children themselves, right? Exactly. Impacting that next generation as well. So mm. I think if we start to think about, about this process of so much more than just the quality of the egg, and understanding that there's many phases that still can, uh, that are important and that um, really need attention and support, then, then I think we, we're, we're buying in, right? Then we're still yeah. in and we're giving everything to that process where we know that we still need to take care of ourselves and we need to, take, we need to make sure our diet is healthy. And, and all the changes that you made or were making for egg quality are still going to be valuable now, mm. right? It's, Mm. It's still going to play a role on uterine environment and blood circulation to the endometrium and for implantation and your immune system for being able to hold a pregnancy. I mean, there's so much that's part of this process mm. that we forget when we say we're going to do, you know, donor egg or, or even now in the future donor embryo. You know, the embryos don't just implant, right? <laughs> 
you know, and so this <laughs> or like stick <laughs> or stick, right? You know, th this wording that often gets used, you know, when, I, when we're talking about IVF, I often use the word transfer, right? Because that's exactly what's happening. We're transferring an embryo into the uterus, but the words that are often used by couples is implant. We're going in for an implant. They're going to implant mm -hmm. the embryo. I want everyone listening to understand that if we could implant the embryo into the endometrium, we'd have 100% success in IVF, okay? <laughs> and the baby would hold and, and mm. hopefully we wouldn't have any miscarriages, but that's just not what happens, right? No. There's still a, a process, a natural process that has to happen, and that's implantation. And implantation is not just one moment, it's a process that happens and often, I think if we broaden our mind to say it's implantation for all intents and purposes is the first trimester, then at least we start to think about things a little bit more broadly. We understand that it's not a, a moment, it's a time frame, and mm. we're more engaged in that process. So, you know, there's so much around this that still needs your support and your attention where the supplements you're taking, the diet, the exercise, the acupuncture, all these things that you're doing are still going to impact and can impact either positively or negatively, you know, the, um, the success of the IVF cycle and the pregnancy and beyond. Because mm. the last thing also, I mean, most women or most couples or, or intending parents that have come to this decision have probably been on the fertility journey for a while right yeah. they've they, you know faced the facts of they've probably been trying with their own eggs they've probably naturally you know natural normal yeah. conception um they've probably done goodness knows how many rounds of ivf yep. and then they come to this decision the last thing we want is for this beautiful embryo to to be transferred and then for a couple to or a, a, an intending parent to miscarry it's just heartbreaking beyond words yeah. um and that's yeah that's all the stuff that we really want to help avoid because most people have already been through some traumatic process uh in this journey or, or it may be endometriosis or it may be PCOS, it may be something else that they've for their reason of choosing sure. to use um donor eggs or it may be you know um any any number of reasons that you you go down this pathway yeah, and, and i get it i understand you've been doing it for years probably mm. when you got to this point and you've you've sacrificed so much to get to so this much point. you can't drink alcohol you can't smoke you you feel like you can't have fun you can't eat all the food that you like to eat so by the time you get to this point i can tell you, you can say the hell with it i'm using a donor i can do whatever i want yeah right but yeah the reality is is you've given so much to get to this point. Don't go backwards now. You're no. almost there. Now's the, not the time to give up. Now, does it mean you can't give yourself some flexibilities? No, I think we could give ourselves some flexibilities, but those flexibilities can't turn into an everyday thing. It could be, okay, I'm going to give myself a little flexibility for this because it's a little vacation or something like that. But then we're going back to where we need to be because we know what the end goal is. Right. And at the end of the day, it's how we should live anyway. You know, yeah. we should be looking after ourselves anyway, independent of the fact that we're doing a fertility journey. It just should be how we care for ourselves. How we live. How we live. Yeah. yeah. Look, you know, I, I often tell 
couples when they're making these changes, because I know how hard they are, mm. is you want, you're spending all this effort to have a child. You want to be there for that child. You want to be healthy for that child. Exactly. <laughs> you don't want to be a burden to the child. No. You don't want to pass away early because you didn't take care of yourself so you couldn't enjoy your child's life, right? You want to be there to watch your child grow. You want to be healthy. You want to be able to play with them and run around and do all those things. So that means continuing to take care of yourself now and in the future. So, you know, these are all lifestyle choices that we need to change so that they're not, it's not a diet. It's just, that's right. Right. right? That's right. It's not a, it's not a, oh, I'm doing a detox today no. or because of whatever it's this is just the way you do things right yeah. so that's that's what we're trying to strive for mm. yeah mm. and and maintaining that parenting is you know that fertility doesn't stop or your your fertility journey doesn't stop when you get pregnant and have a baby it keeps going because you're now a parent right. <laughs> and parenting yeah. is it takes work. It's hard sometimes, you know, you need to be healthy because you are the one-stop shop for that child and you have to be on, you have to be well, you can't afford to be, you know, unwell no. because who's going to then look after that child. Right. Who's there to take care of the, who's there uh, to do uh, it? of the child, the baby, you know, and, and even as they get older, my kids are 12 and 10, they still need me. Right? Of course. They, they still and you still need energy. <laughs> yeah, you still need energy to take care of them. That's just the way this is. Yeah. Want to yeah. be there for them. Yeah. So do you, just just going back to the endometrial lining for, for a moment. So, because that's such a, an important element in this. And as I said, you know, my endometrium kept decidualizing really, really early. It's like, oh my goodness, we've got to somehow maintain that endometrial lining. What is what are some of your favorite things to to give women for for that? What do you love so giving or one, doing? One, one thing I love doing is acupuncture for it. Yeah. Um, I think it works very very well. Um, yeah. And you know, is it a hundred percent successful? No, but it is very successful and increase. One of the best things about acupuncture is that it increases blood circulation, so it brings so much more nourishment to the endometrium, which is what mm. we're looking for. Outside of that, just some simple things that I like to recommend, um, castrol packs, vaginal yeah. steaming, um, when all those things are appropriate. You can also do uh, abdominal massage or uterine massage. All these yeah. things have the same purpose though, right? Yeah. We're talking about blood circulation, um, allowing the uterine environment to clean out when it needs to properly and mm. restore um, with good endometrium, good blood circulation and blood flow through the area. So all of that has the same, you know, intention, if yes. you will. So yes. those are all great pieces that I like to incorporate. Some supplements that I like to incorporate for that are um, L-arginine. Um, I do like that for endometrium um, and building that, that lining. And if we do have uh, an issue with the... Um, with the tissue and it's long-standing then one of the other thing i like to give uh bovine uterus I yeah like nice like for like right you know so mm. the uterus we want to give the uterus and so those are some mm. of the 
the things that I really like to do and, and have seen some good results with. Um, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Do you do you use vitamin E or coenzyme Q10? Do you pop those in? Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah. vitamin E, um, essential fatty acids, fish oils, yeah. and yeah. Um, CoQ10 as well. CoQ10. Yeah. yeah, and that's all again that that um, that circulation increased circulation with your acupuncture. What's your preference? What 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 do you like? Do you like seeing them weekly? Because I like doing once a week, and I really love um, once a week for. For the, so the research that came out in 2019, did you, did you see the Hollander research, which said, yeah, yeah the more, obviously the more you do, the better. Um, and yeah. I think he talked about, you know, nine to 12 sessions at least prior. Um, so I love doing that. And so that fits into that three months of preconception care as well. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I've spoken to um, the researcher on that and, and yeah, right. came to a, a consensus on that as well. And look, yeah. I, I like to do, once a week visits, unless I need to, unless the time frame is shorter, and then we need yes. to increase that. Yes. Um, the other time where I do like to increase it is if we know that there's a um, an issue with the endometrium, and we know we're four weeks out or six weeks out from a from a transfer, then I might also recommend increasing the frequency at that point to help build that up a little bit faster. Yeah, perfect, perfect. And what about the men? <laughs> What do the men need to do? Because <laughs> we don't want these beautiful 23-year-old eggs, you know, and mix yeah. it with some crappy old sperm that hasn't been looked after. <laughs> yeah. Look, the old adage that it takes two to tango is yeah. very true. And um, whether it's donor egg or your partner's egg, doesn't matter. You need good, healthy sperm. And so we want to create a super embryo, okay? Let's just think of it like we're trying to create yes. a super human. Well, yes. we're not going to be able to create that with sperm that don't swim well or the morphology is crappy or we don't have enough of them to get to where we want to go, right? We want good quality sperm to meet this beautiful egg. And if you've got a beautiful young egg with great healthy uh, sperm that have been given all the proper nutrients they need, you're going to create this, you know, as we like to call super embryo, right? Yeah. Great embryo, great child. So that's what we're striving for. So for all the men listening, just because you're having donor doesn't mean you don't bear a burden here. You that's do actually even more so. Yes. I think, <laughs> because you are the biological um, parent in the equation here. And so you want to make sure that that sperm is as healthy as it can be. Absolutely. So making sure always those foundational things are taken care of is always essential. Making sure you're eating well, that you're exercising, that you're getting enough sleep, that you're giving mm. yourself enough time to rest and recover and rejuvenate. That you're, this is the time to not add more stress onto your plate. This is the time to clear the stress out, right? All of these things will have a huge impact foundationally on what you're passing on. And then there's always, well, what else can I take to help with, uh, to improve my sperm quality so, so that way we can create as good quality sperm as possible. And so then we're going to add in, but don't think that just because you're taking some supplements that you don't have to do those other things, right? Exactly. You could still drink your four beers a day or whatever mm. it is that you're mm. doing. That's not what we're striving for, okay? Mm. So this is the time to clean up all of those things, make sure we're not um, 
impacted by any additional uh, chemicals or environmental toxins as well. Sperm are really sensitive and volatile. So we mm. need to be careful about that exposure. And then you can add in the supplements to help boost um, those nutrients that are missing and, and add in some additional support. But though mm. it shouldn't be the other way around. Like you shouldn't be taking the supplements to then say, as an excuse to say, I can do these other things and not have to make those changes. So I just want to be clear about that. Um, I'm sure the next question is, well, what supplements should we take? (laughs) What's some easy supplements? Yeah. (laughs) But I I do agree with you. I was just going to say that one of my patients at the moment, and we've sort of started this journey with him recently, he has incredibly low sperm counts, like frighteningly low. Um, He is a mechanic. Mm. And then every day that he's not working as a mechanic he's then working on his own cars in his garage and he the smell uh the the the, i don't even know what the the fumes are but the smell of of him of his clothes is it just it penetrates the whole room when he walks in um because he's constantly in it and it's just we're at the point now going well you know we need to make some pretty big lifestyle choices here and not everyone has to do this but this is just an example where we're sort of going you need to 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 change your what you're doing um it's it's quite serious now and and the poor the poor partner is just beside herself (laughs) Um, because there's yeah it's not it's not actually her issue it's it is actually the burden is a little bit more on him in this this scenario so now it's never that it's not always that dramatic or that drastic but right. there are certainly lifestyle changes that have to be made in men you know we we talked about this when we did our instagram live the you know the bike riding do we do bike riding do we not do bike riding you know it's yeah little bike rides are fine but long bike rides aren't <laughs> i think of this so much over the last week as i've been watching the olympics um and just thinking about <laughs> all the things you know i see the cyclists and all these things that all these men and women for that matter yes. them through to get to this point in their career. And, and all of that is, is, is um, we're sacrificing something, right? Um, with these career choices. So the mechanic loves to be a mechanic and that's okay. But sometimes in that choice, we're making, you know, we're, we're, we're sacrificing something to get mm. there. So you have to make some difficult choices. And I have seen this both with women and men where, you know, they have to decide, do I want to continue down this path? And if so, okay, but that's going to mean I have to make different choices on my fertility journey, right? Mm. That's where donors come in. Yeah. Um, or, no, I'm going to make a different choice. I'm going to change my career and we're mm. going to try something different and see if this makes an impact on mm. you know, whether it's egg or sperm. In this case, it, you know, we're talking about sperm. Mm. So those are not easy decisions. No. And the conversation then with her was because you know, she's now in her early 40s as well. And the conversation that I had with her was, you desperately want to be a mother. You need to make some choices as well. You know, you could use donor sperm. Um, And that's a a really, really difficult conversation to actually have, you know, to say you can do this different or different choice for her. That's a difficult choice for her if she wants to make that choice. But I... I think it's important that that it, it's considered because otherwise she's going to be resentful if she never gets to be a mum. 
because of his 100%. choices. Mm. Yeah, hundred mm. percent. You know, this this brings me back to a story of a of a couple that I was working with, and they were going through multiple IVF cycles. And the embryology this this was years ago. The the clinic's actually no longer around. They closed the clinic. But I had a good relationship with the embryologist, and so we were having this conversation back and forth. And one day, I happened to be in the clinic for a different couple, and the embryologist said, "You know, did did what did you do with this patient? Because their um, their numbers are just so different. Mm. The, the sperm uh, variables, the semen analysis, came back so different this last time." And I'm just confused. I've double checked it because I didn't think it was his. I thought it was somebody else's because it had dramatically, I mean, dramatically improved. It all wow, positive, yeah. But it, yeah. it was so shocking that he didn't believe it was his. So he actually called the patient and they were having a conversation. And the patient says, well, for whatever amount of time I've been on the road for work and I've been traveling a lot and I've been eating terribly and not sleeping a lot. And, you know, because I was... I was able to take, I can't remember if it was four weeks or six weeks, but he was able to take a significant amount of time off from work because it was the holidays. So he did. And then when he gave his sample afterwards, all the numbers were dramatically improved. Amazing. Right? And so when I mean a huge difference, so much so that the embryologist didn't believe it was his sample. Wow. Right? It, wow. And this was, I think, 15 or 16 years ago. So I don't remember all the details, but yeah, I want everyone listening to understand that shift shows you how impactful sleep is and diet and stress and all these lifestyle variables, which I know I repeat often, and as, as I'm sure you mm. do, mm. but these things are called foundational pieces for a reason, because without those changes, it's constantly an uphill battle, right? Mm. How many pills do you want to take every day? Mm. Right? It's not that you can't take them, but wouldn't it be nice to take less and still get good results? So these are all the, these are all the things that impact what we're trying to do, which is mm. why they're so important. And the, the pills should be an adjunct. I mean, they're, they're supplements. They are supplementary to a, a good diet. They're supplementary to a good lifestyle. They should not be the reliance and the core elements of, of somebody's health. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are times when we do need to have more rather than less, but we would like it to be that they are in adjunct to right. the lifestyle. Well, I mean, we, we know we have to use more now, but once we make all these changes, the goal is to be able to reduce those Off because them. your lifestyle, your diet, all those things have taken hold. And so they can support all the changes that you've made and lift everything up and keep it mm. there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And do you find men are receptive to those changes? <laughs> more, more and more now than ever before, quite frankly. Mm. Um, I do find now men are taking much more responsibility for their actions in the process than 10 years ago, for sure. Yes, um, still not, definitely. And it depends culturally. Where did they grow up? And yes, you know, how is culture viewed as it relates to this? So those are also big pieces that need to be factored in. Mm. Yeah. So what would be your, your top five subs for men? Top words? <laughs> um, so I'll say for sure, um, 
a great fish oil because fish oil has shown great improvement for sperm count. Um, yes. I love a good probiotic. Um, CoQ10 is great both for men and women. Um, yeah. And that's a big piece that needs to be incorporated. Um, and then I like my antioxidants. Um, so pycnogenol is a beautiful yeah, one. Beautiful. Yes. And then quite frankly, as much as I have in the past always used um, individual supplements because I couldn't find something that really encompassed everything that I need. I do have one um, uh, multi-ingredient uh, supplement that I love, which is the, the FH Pro for men mm. product. Mm. The research behind it is fantastic. Mm. It has some great um, antioxidants in there, and it really has shown to improve all the parameters. That parameters. To improve it doesn't have everything in there because you just can't mm. find one thing that no that's but it that's does often the problem but it yeah. does yeah. and that's that's often the problem isn't it why sometimes you will have a patient with four or five different things if if not more sometimes depending on the patient because you can't get everything in right one pill you're comp i mean or, or one powder you're compromising the um the levels what about um Acupuncture for men. I, I love it. Um, I, I tend to approach it a little bit differently than I do for my female patients. Um, mm. If there's extreme issues that need to be addressed, so maybe this mechanic you were just mentioning, um, yes, yes. Um, or depending on the other circumstances and their health history, then in those cases I would do once a week, but often I, I go to every other week. Mm. Um, I can mm. do that with acupuncture, mm. Um, mm. but it really is just a case by case, you know, basis just based on their history and so forth, but it works well, you know, it, again, we're trying to regulate the nervous system. Exactly. We're trying to relax you. We're trying to increase more <clears throat> circulation to the testes to provide more nutrients and nourishment to the area. And we're trying to restore more, you know, proper function um, so that the testes perform properly and we can actually produce good quality sperm. Acupuncture does all those things that I've mentioned. So we can do that. And for all of you who are scared, thinking that we're gonna be putting needles where they don't belong, we don't do that. That's not what's gonna happen. I've been asked that question before. So oh, that is funny. I wanna set the stage clear right now. Your, your, your uh, family jewels will be safe, don't worry. <laughs> There won't be any needles there. <laughs> That's so funny it, because I've had that question myself and it's just, yeah. it's, it's funny as an acupuncturist, you don't even think, I don't even think that, I would have even thought that that would be a question, but it question, actually right. is. But it is, it's a question. <laughs> it's so funny. It's very, yeah. very funny. Mark, thank you so much. I have kept you for a long time now and I, I, absolutely appreciate your time and your expertise you are just helping so many couples so many intending parents and i just i just thank you for the work that you're doing um can you let people know where they can find you please i'll put it all in the show notes of course but if let people know sure, where yeah. they can find you yeah i mean you can always find me on my website marksclar.com um instagram facebook but the best place um is youtube you can watch all my videos there um and i think it's a it's a great resource for it's everybody. a brilliant resource brilliant there, so. resource yeah. yeah 
Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Go and enjoy your Friday night with your you. wife and two boys. Um, and I'll look forward to touching base with you again. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. And really absolutely. this work that you're doing with the podcast is wonderful. And I hope that everybody listening understands that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Bye, Mark. Bye.